God is good, church. Amen. Amen. God is faithful, isn't he? Amen. Amen. Um, this morning, looking at Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, I'm only going to really cover the first verse. And the reason behind that is really we need to get that verse in context. Um, the author is saying something very significant about faith. Uh, he's, he's very much saying, and you'll hear me repeat this, that it's not a blind faith we have in Jesus Christ. It's not an I hope so. It's not a matter of happenstance. Uh, there is some very substantial things that occur in our life when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I know many of you this morning will say amen to that. Uh, it's just not something I believe, and I'm hoping it's right. Uh, God has revealed himself. He has imparted his Holy Spirit in us. He has illuminated truth in many occasions as we read Scripture. Uh, we have faced difficult times. Sometimes we failed, uh, but sometimes we held on to the truth of God and have persevered. And looking back, we have said God was faithful. Uh, but he honors our faithfulness towards him. Um, the pastor has been sharing the last eight weeks on this idea of being a listener or a hearer of God's word. And how important that is, because I tell you, there's thousands, if not uh, millions of people that meet every Sunday. And about this time, they check out, start wondering about dinner, uh, who's playing football this afternoon, what are the standings in the NBA or uh, NCAA. And, 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 and really, this is a mo the most significant time of worship. Uh, here we understand from what the pastor shared as he proclaims the God of uh, the word of God that God is literally speaking to us and uh, being born again, being filled with the spirit of God. We recognize that when that truth is illuminated in our heart. But uh, we leave here and we're like, oh, hallelujah, I have this new truth, I have this new principle, and I'm just ready to hit the ground running tomorrow, I'm going to put it into practice. Uh, boy, that is certainly a pastor's desire, and, and certainly that is the desire of God, but why does that not happen? Because it conflicts many times with what we currently believe or what we currently feel about matters of faith. Um, we would call this term a crisis of faith. And what that is, is we've been exposed to the truth of God and it has impacted us in such a way uh, that our fallen flesh in such a way that it, it really challenges what we previously believed. Now understand that previous belief may be based on something that's a, uh, an old tale, an old fable, uh, or even a church tradition. But now it's been impacted uh, by the word of God and we're at a crossroads in our life. And at this point, we're going to have to demonstrate faith and just trust and hold on to the Word of God. But I'm going to tell you what the author of Hebrews is going to do all throughout chapter 11. He's going to share with us that we have great reason to be confident in God's Word. No matter what you're facing, whatever difficulty you're facing, there is great reason to be confident in the Word of God. As we look at the book of Hebrews, and uh, we realize uh, the writer is writing to a group of people that who are falling away from the faith. Many of them are facing troubled times, and they're falling back to Judaism. Or they're falling just simply away from the faith. And we capture, and he spends the first ten chapters trying to reinforce or try to share with this Hebrew audience that you have great reason to continue your faith in Jesus Christ. Out of all he's done, out of all the promises he's fulfilled, all of all that you've done in the Old Testament as a shadow of what God now has revealed substantially in Jesus Christ, you have great reason to press on and not press backwards. Have you ever been at a point in your Christian faith where you come and you're like, 
man, I'm just getting weary and maybe I want to fall back. Man, that's just not Scripture. God is always challenging us to press on to Christ's likeness. The Hebrew writer is going to wind up in chapter 10, 39 after spending so much time trying to develop the idea of how God has substantially revealed himself ultimately in Christ that he says this in verse 39 of chapter 10. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. Everything he does in the first 10 chapters is building to this uh, chapter 11, this idea of faith. But he's really trying to stress again that it's not blind faith God's asking you to step into. He's asking you to step into the light of Jesus Christ. Faith is a timely word for the church today. So many churches are trying to mimic things going on in our secular society. In the way we do church, in the way we build church. And I know the pastor preached on this. You know, we're out selling chickens for Jesus to try to send missionaries overseas. A lot of faith that takes. Doesn't, does it? Man, I want to be a part of a church that is exciting about God releasing the resources of heaven and pouring out a spirit in such a way that things happen so common that we cannot explain outside of God. And that level of church is reached only when the people of God trust God at His Word and step out in faith believing that He's going to accomplish what He desires to do. And whether it brings us to martyrdom, where people come and haul us off the prison, or whether it brings this church to the point that we're sending missionaries to hundreds of countries, we're going to be satisfied because in faith, God is glorified. That's where we're going to find our assurance. Faith is important if we're going to get serious with God's words and allow it to impact our life. Faith is critical. What type of faith is the author describing here? I have a little article, it's an interesting article, about whenever they came in with the jet engine over the propeller engine. And this is really a good description of what biblical faith is not, okay? I'll warn you right up front that this is not... This is how a lot of people look at faith, though. It says, in 1958... America's first commercial jet air service began with a flight of the Boeing 707. A month after the first flight, a traveler on a piston engine, an old plane, uh, driven, uh, a, a propeller-driven DC-6 airliner, struck up a conversation with a fellow passenger. The fellow passenger happened to be the Boeing engineer. Uh, the traveler asked the engineer about the new jet aircraft, whereupon the engineer began speaking at length about extensive testing Boeing had done on the jet engine before bringing it into service. He recounted how Boeing's experience with engines all the way back from the B-17 to the B-52 led up to the development of this fine engine, this jet engine that we know so well today. When this traveling companion asked him if he himself had yet flown on the 707 jet airliner, the engineer replied, I think I'll wait until until it's been in service for a while. You know, we kind of laugh at that and say, this engineer that was so much a part of this new engine and had such high hopes for it, he himself was not willing to get on the plane until it had been tested for a while. And in many ways, we approach Scripture from that way. You know, if it seems to fit into our lifestyle, if it seems to make sense to our mind or, or to our sense of feeling, then maybe we'll trust it. But if God is calling me outside of my comfort zone, if God is moving in my heart to do a radical change in my life, we question that. We challenge that. And you know, that's really where the rubber meets the road when it comes to faith. We have got to trust God at His Word. You know, I love what Job said after all that he went through. He says, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. That is a faith in God. That is a trust in God. I'm going to persevere. And God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to have faith in what you've called me to do. And whether it leads to sickness or health or wealth or poverty or even death, I'm going to follow you, Lord. 
I'm going to trust you at your word. This is the faith we're talking about uh, as we look at Hebrews chapter 11, 1. As we look through all of chapter 11, uh, it's also known as the, 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 the hall of fame of faith. You see some great people of faith here. We might even call them heroes. I mean, we see Abraham, and we're going to look at him in a couple weeks. We look at Moses, and you can just kind of peruse through chapter 11. You see some great heroes of faith because they simply stepped out and trusted God. You think they never made mistakes? No, they made mistakes. Do you think at times they were, this, this, this idea of trusting God was a challenge to their soul? Yes, it was. But they followed God and they were found faithful. And we would say, wow, what heroes. But you know, from God's perspective, that's where he wants all of us. That's where he wants all of us. In a position that we have to rely completely and totally on him. In faith believing that what he said he would do, he would certainly be able to accomplish. His desire, we all develop an unshakable faith that stands even during the toughest times. As we look at the passage today, we're going to ask the question of Scripture, what must we understand if we're going to develop an unshakable faith in God? How many here this morning would like to have or develop an unshakable faith in our God? I pray we all do. Because guess what? We're going to face difficult times. If things are pretty nice right now, wait till next week. That's right. Things change and you're going to face tough times. But I'm going to tell you, whatever you're facing tomorrow, God's there. And nothing's going to happen to you outside of His providence and His divine will in your life. And for me, that is of great comfort. That is of great comfort. Well, as we study uh, this passage, 11.1, we're really going to have to back up some. We're really going to have to find out in context why the author is so boldly saying that faith is assurance or substance of things we hope for and evidence of things we haven't seen. Two words I really want to kind of look at is substance and evidence. We need to understand faith is challenging. We're going to kind of use the whole book of Hebrews for this. Let's first understand why is he writing? Why is he writing the book of Hebrews? Well, he's writing as an exhortation. Just turn your Bibles one page to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 22. The author writes this. He says, I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation, for I've written you briefly. Now, what is exhortation? Exhortation is simply a motivation to do right. He's trying to tell them, you need to do right. You're falling back into faith. You need to re-engage with God. You need to get back to trusting Him at His word. That's the motivation for the letter. Now, what was going on? Well, as we read through Scripture, if you read all of it, you'll see a good picture. But let me just give you a few verses. People were falling away from the faith. They weren't exercising faith in God. Uh, go back to the beginning in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, the writer says this. Chapter 2, verse 1. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not what? Drift away from it. He said, we've got to focus on the Word of God. We've got to be followers of the Word of God. Because you're either drawing closer to Jesus or you're drifting away. There is no middle ground. The author is concerned that people will be drifting away if they don't hold close to Jesus. Well, let's look at the next passage, chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brethren, that there not be any one of you of an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Again, this idea of exhorting them not to fall away from God. Go down to chapter uh, 4, just a few verses down, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, let us fear while promise remains of entering his rest. Any one of you may seem to come short of it. Short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also, they meaning those Israel in the wilderness, 
uh, many of them that didn't exercise faith. But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith for those who heard it. So again, there's a challenge. You need to be a faithful people or you're going to fall away. Chapter, sorry, let's go ahead and look at uh, chapter 4, verse 11. Just a few verses down. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter the rest so that no one will fall through the falling of the same example of disobedience. Let me give you just one more verse and we'll close on this idea of the author's concern and burden that people are falling away from the faith. Chapter 12, verse 3. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners, talking about Jesus, against himself, so that you will not grow weary and do what? And lose heart. The author is exhorting, is calling the people to remain faithful to God. There are difficult circumstances. There are troubling circumstances for the first century church. They're not the most popular people in town. But their true redemption, their, 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 their true uh, ability to come through this is going to hinge on their faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah, they can fall back and maybe live to be 100 years old. But then they have to stand before God in facing eternity. I don't know about you, I'm 49. I'd rather die at 50 knowing that I've lived a life honoring to God than live to 100 and face, a life, face God with a life that was totally disobedient to Him. But sometimes we think that this 80, 90 years we have on earth is all that is. There's an eternity out there. And so much is going to hinge on our faith in God and trust in His Word. It's a tendency in all of us. It's a challenge within all of us. There's times that may, we may even retreat from our face, or faith when we face difficult and challenging times. The audience of Hebrews was facing that time. But they needed to have faith and trust in God. You know, I am privileged. I am. I am privileged to be among you. What this church is doing this year and its missionary effort, its community outreach, sharing the gospel. But I am privileged also to be on staff with these guys over here. Well, this guy. The other one ran out. Maybe I'm not honored to be with him. No, with Dan and Adam and the pastor. I'm going to tell you, when I grow up, I want to be just like them. They are magnificent men of God. Let, let me share with you just for a little bit. I'm going to embarrass the pastor. So if you want to see him turn red, watch him now. This is going to be good. I only get a few times a year of this. So I'm going to take advantage of it when I got it. Amen? Amen? All right. Glad you're with me. Most of y'all know the pastor's had this neck problem for years. Pain in his neck. He's preached through it. He's dealt with it. But now he has been given an opportunity uh, to have a surgery which would correct that. Now, I'm going to back up in time a little bit, all right? So, yes, the doctor says, hey, here's the ideal thing. We can put an implant. It's kind of new. But, man, it's pretty much going to make your neck just like new. Amen. Oh, that's exciting. We can schedule a date for you. You're set to go. Well, first thing, insurance comes back and says, well, uh, Mike, uh, Mr. Kwiatkowski, we're not going to be at, did I pronounce that right? All right. Mr. K, we're not going to be able to put that implant in your neck. Uh, your insurance is not covering it. So we're going to have to fuse your, your bone. Don't worry. It's still pretty good. It's still pretty good. You, you'll, be, you'll, be, you'll be good. Not the best, but it's good. All right. Well, great. So schedule was, uh, surgery was scheduled for this past Monday. That's why I'm here now. He's supposed to be recovering. But come to find out, 20,000 people were dropped from insurance. And now not only is he not getting the best, but he's not getting it all at this point in time. And uh, the insurance got straightened out, okay? But, you know, what amazed me about this man, 
and really ties to our lesson. He was a little disappointed, as we all would be. You know, if you ever had surgery, it's something you got to kind of pump up to. You know, if you show up for surgery that morning and say, ah, we're not going to do it until next week. Like, okay. But what he said is, you know, but God is sovereign. God is in control of all things. He not only knew about this, but he ordained this. And whether I get the surgery or I never get the surgery, I'm going to preach the gospel. And, you know, he didn't say this, but I know his heart. If they ever do the surgery and it cuts my cords, I'm going to write about the gospel. I'm going to sign language the gospel. I'm all about proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ until he calls me home. That's the commitment. But I want to, I want to tell you, faith is now facing a challenge. Faith is now facing a difficult time, even in our pastor's life. Well, let's fast forward to this past week. He does get picked up by insurance. And they're going to schedule the surgery this Wednesday. And listen to the goodness of God. They're going to put the implant in. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Looking back, it's a hallelujah moment. I mean, looking back, you can see God orchestrating things, even canceling a surgery. And, and I know I'm Baptist, so I can only dance with one foot. But that's something to get excited about. He didn't know how it was going to go through. He didn't know how it was all going to transpire. But he knew the God that was going to be behind it all. And in his heart, he was prepared. If i got to live with this pain like Paul and have a thorn in my flesh, I'm still going to preach the gospel, God. I'm committed to your gospel because it is more than faith for me. It is substance. Your Holy Spirit resides in me. Gives me evidence of your presence in my life. I pray, and Lord, you move in such a way many times as a means to your end. You use my prayer to accomplish your purposes. Many times it doesn't turn out like that. Many times we face trials and tribulations and we have faith and things still get devastating. Praise God. God is still on the throne. He's still in control. And as I mentioned earlier, in the depths of where, uh, of, of where the guy that suffered a lot. Thank you, Job. Help the preacher out. Help him out. After all he suffered and went through, he comes up and says, though he slay me. I'm still going to love him. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to do his bidding. Though he kill me. That's faith. There had to be something within him driving that other than just simple blind happenstance faith. There is a, a resolve that God installed in us and that we are sure of what we believe in is true. Bear with me as we kind of continue to build. Remember, we're trying to build on this Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is substance. Okay, Substance. Faith is evidence of things we hope for and not seen. Getting back into Hebrews and trying to build this context. Y'all understand in the old, the first ten chapters where he's, he's kind of addressing, you kind of really need to understand what's going on in the Old Testament to fully grasp what's going on here in the first ten chapters of Hebrews. In the Old Testament, just very briefly, uh, they had a tabernacle and under King Solomon it turned into a building, a temple. But the tabernacle was like a rectangular tented area that only had walls. But on the inside there was a tent and there was a place on half of it called the Holy Place and the other was the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was, okay? So uh, every year there was this Yom Kippur, this Day of Atonement, where the high priest would come in and he would go through these various ceremonial cleansing things because he was about to enter the very uh, uh, presence of God in the Holy of Holies and he had to have his sin repented of and he had to be cleansed and go through all this ceremonial washings and ultimately he would carry the blood of an animal and place it on the mercy seat of the altar uh, that was inside the Holy of Holies. And through that, through the shedding of blood, God... 
God would forgive or atone the people of their sins. So you see a couple things here. You see a human high priest doing this function or this service for the people. And then you also see the necessity of blood being offered for the forgiveness of sin. You see that in the Old Testament. Well, all through the first ten chapters, the writer's referring back to that. Not going to read it, but in chapter 7, verse 23, and many other passages, Jesus is demonstrated as being the high priest. He is the high priest that stands before God on our behalf. He is our advocate. The role that the priest played in the Old Testament uh, was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and the author brings that out. The author goes back in, in, in a few chapters later and talks about the blood, this animal blood that was taken into the Holy of Holies and, and shed and uh, just, 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 just placed on the mercy seat so the people might be forgiven of sin. And I've got to read this one. Chapter 9, verse 11 through 12 kind of ties them both together. It says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of good things to come, he entered through a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, human hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. You get the picture here in the Old Testament, that was done every year, uh, taking the animal blood and the ceremonial cleansing, and the human high priest would go in and, and, and really and, and find atonement for the people of Israel, and it was done year after year after year. When Jesus came on the scene, he is the high priest. He is eternally the high priest. But he didn't carry the blood of animals and bulls and goats. He took his own blood, and it now sits on the altar, on the mercy seat, so that when God sees us he doesn't for those who believe he doesn't see our sin he sees his son and our sins are for tone for once and for all we don't have to bring a, a a blood offering year after year after year when christ shed his blood that was atonement that was good for eternity why is the author bringing this up and how does this feed into this idea of substance and evidence for our faith the author says in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, listen to this. You can turn to it if you want. I'm going to back up to verse 4. Now, if he were on earth, Jesus, he would not be a priest at all since there is those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and shadow of heavenly things, just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the temple. What is he saying here? Everything in the Old Testament was very much a shadow. Now... What is a shadow? It's nothing without what? Something substantial, something of substance. The shadow in itself is there, is only, there only as long as the light is hitting off of something substantial to cast a shadow. You agree with me? Well, the author reinforces this in chapter 10, verse 1. It says, For the law, since it has only a shadow of good things to come, and not the what? The very form of the things. So as the author is building this case in the first 10 chapters, he's saying, you know, everything you did ceremonially was done in faith and it served as a shadow looking forward to a time when God would provide a sacrifice. Why should it shock us whenever we look in the Gospels and John the Baptist is baptizing and when he sees Jesus come, do you remember what he said? Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Here is the substance of everything that was shadowed in the Old Testament. Everything we did in the ceremonial law to find cleansing, we did by faith, looking forward to a time that God would provide something of substance. A real sacrifice. 
A sacrifice we don't have to bring every year and every year for repentance. A sacrifice that once and for all would pardon our sin, would atone for our sin, and allow us to be counted as people of God. It's an awesome thing. But see, it all builds into this idea of faith. So we see when we move to chapter 11, the author says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. All that God had promised was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And the Hebrew audience would have known this. They were within one generation of Jesus walking the earth. Jesus is the substance and evidence of our faith. And for them, it should have been a platform to launch even greater and trust for God. If God is able to fulfill His promises and all that was shattered in the Old Testament in Jesus Christ, then wow! Why should we worry about tomorrow? We should walk close to God. Have complete faith in Him. Trust Him at His Word. The Hebrews are facing challenging times and some of them chose to retreat. Not all. I I have no doubt there were those that were persevered, as 1039 said, but there there was their accountant tree. We face challenging times. If you're on the mountain this week, you're like, woohoo, praise God, life is good. Wait till next week. Life seems to be a series of ups and downs, doesn't it? It's easy to praise God on a mountaintop. And I wonder if that was in uh, the psalmist who says we bring a sacrifice of praise. Because, you know, sometimes we're in the ditch. And it is a sacrifice to come here and worship God. Because you know what? What you're saying when you're bringing that sacrifice of praise. God, I don't know what's going on in my life. But I'm holding on to you. I'm trusting you. I'm holding on to that which is eternal. We should be encouraged today. We should be encouraged The Hebrew writers had the apostles' teaching, had some scripture, but we've got the whole counsel of God right here. We have got something that is substantial. We have God. He's revealed himself. He's revealed his divine ethic. He's revealed that we, no way, shape, and how, will be able to fulfill all that he's commanded. But he's made a way that when we drift away or we're entangled in sin, not living in sin, but we're entangled with it, he has made a way that we can receive forgiveness. And I'm going to tell you, that's a love I I can't grasp. I I know my ability to forgive. And you get about three strikes. And you know what? But yet the Bible reveals. And what I can't do is put my understanding of forgiveness on a God who is able to forgive umpteen told many times more than I. He is able that when we come before him with a broken and contrite heart to say, you're forgiven. And by the way, I choose not to even remember it anymore. Wow. Wow. We believe as God revealed himself through history, he revealed himself progressively, showing himself to Abraham. Well, certainly Isaac and Jacob knew more of God's expectations and Moses. And ultimately we get to the Hebrews very first chapter where God did reveal himself many ways and in many times, but in these last days he revealed himself by his son, Jesus Christ. The substance of all that was taught and prophesied and looked forward to in the Old Testament. We are to be encouraged by his word. 
It is God's Word. It's a platform to launch out to awesome things. We are to be encouraged by the faithful recorded in Scripture. We read through 11 and we read through the Old Testament, even the New Testament, some marvelous demonstrations of faith. It ought to encourage us. Not only, hey, we're not the first one to take God at His Word. We have a list, a history of people who have trusted God and have found Him to be faithful. That ought to encourage our hearts. But you know what? We are to be encouraged within our own life. If we're walking with the Lord and we're trusting with all our heart, you know, there are instances where He has been real in our life. Amen? Have you faced times in your life whenever you were up against the wall and all you had was God's Word and you clinged on to it and you found Him to be faithful? That is substantial. And people can talk to you about uh, circumstances and, and, uh, and, 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 well, it's just a, uh, a coincidence. Don't believe in coincidence. I, I don't believe that. You'll never be able to convince me otherwise. God is faithful. We ought to be encouraged because of his own. And I'm going to tell you, the faith that we're talking about here as we move towards 11-1, the substantial faith, faith is challenging, but God is not calling us to step out on blind faith into the darkness. You know, ultimately, he is calling us to step into the light. I'm going to tell you, my mind has been illumined more by Scripture. I thank God for the opportunity even to go to seminary as develop more of a biblical worldview. And, 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 and it, you can see so clearly why things are as they are. I need to understand the Bible has painted this picture of me simply being a pilgrim here. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm a pilgrim going through hostile territory. Many of us who have called in faith in Christ throughout history has died at the sword. But they died faithful, trusting in God. You see the substance that we're talking about? You see the first ten chapters? That's what I'm praying you see this morning is that God was faithful. Everything in the Old Testament being a shadow of the substance found in Jesus Christ. And now he rolls to chapter 11, verse 1, where he says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. This should have lit a fire inside those that he was addressing in this audience. God's fulfilled it. You've got this great platform, this great foundation to launch out in faith in Jesus Christ. And it ought to excite us even more. Many of your Bibles will say things like, uh, there's various words, faith is the assurance, faith is the substance, faith is the evidence, faith is the conviction, faith is the certainty. Um, um, so many types of translations you'll have in many Bibles, i tell you, it's kind of a tough word to translate. It really is. Um, what the, father, the author is obviously not saying is he's not describing a blind faith. It's not, he didn't say this, faith is what we hope for and cannot see. That's blind faith, isn't it? He's saying faith is substance and evidence. Of what we don't see and what we hope for. We see this by this word translated a variety of ways. So as I did some word study on this, and I want you to hang with me here, okay? Who's gonna hang with me? Raise your hand. Thank you. Come on, guys, raise your hand. Just kidding. The Greek word hypostasis is used there, which really means stand, something that stands under. In other words, there's a firm foundation that you're willing uh, and believing enough that you can step on and it's gonna support you. So even the word itself implies some type of a strong foundation. So faith is this strong foundation of what we don't see. Okay? That's just the word by itself. But it's translated a variety of ways. But I think when, when you look at it, they're trying to say the same thing. It's building this case for this strong foundation. Um, one best way to study words is also look for that same word in other parts of the Bible. Especially in the book that you're reading. So we look in all of Hebrews, we see that word hypostasis used two more times. 
uh, one in Hebrews 1, 3, you can turn to it or you can just listen. The pastor's already used this. Remember when he talked about how Jesus was the Word of God and he was the exact representation of God and he demonstrated how that Greek word was very much, uh, if you will, like putty and you took a die or a stamp and you stamped in it. What did you have on the putty? The exact representation of what was on the die. That hypostasis is the die. Is the die. It is what cast Jesus. So in that sense, we see that the Bible here in Hebrews 1.3 is saying that, that this substance matter of God was stamped into Jesus. Now, translators translated that. They didn't put the substance. They put his nature, uh, his person. But what they're trying to convey is God is of substance and he was stamped into the person of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said, if you've seen me, what? You have seen the Father. I am the exact representation. I am the imprinted of his nature, of his very substance is imprinted in me. So from that word alone, you're like, well, faith is a substance or the evidence, however you want to translate that word. There's something in our faith that's substantial. Where it's used elsewhere is in Hebrews uh, chapter uh, uh, 3.14. And this really, the writer is tying you back to when you first believe. I, I don't know about your salvation experience, but boy, when I first believed, uh, there was this euphoria, this sense of godness around me. Now, I know some of it was probably emotion, but listen, there was something in my heart that transpired that radically altered my course in human history or my, my life. I mean, he, he impacted my very soul. And I'm going to tell you, what the writer is trying to carry the people back there is that faith that you exhibited when you first to come to understand that you were a sinner, a desperate sinner in need of God, uh, and you repented, and you sensed God's cleansing. You took Him at His word that He said, if you trust Me, I'll save you. If you believe in My Son that He propitiated for your sin, I'll redeem you. And then the Holy Spirit invades and confirms and illuminates your heart that this is true. That was something. I couldn't put words to it. I'm just telling you, something happened. There's an old uh, hymnal song, uh, and I forgot it already. It was in my mind for a second, but it's gone, so you don't get it. You don't get to hear me sing this morning. Say, oh, no, if you're disappointed by that. All right, Lord, you put it in my head. You took it away. Must not be, must not be necessary for this morning. Something substantial happened in my life. I just didn't ascribe to a new set of beliefs. I didn't just ascribe to a philosophy of life. I ascribed, I held close to a person, and his name is Jesus Christ, and the Spirit of God filled my heart, and I haven't been the same since. I haven't been perfect. I have failed. You want to ask me, there's times where I failed in faith? Yes, I have. I failed to trust God. But it wasn't the fact that God was faithless. It was I that was unfaithful. God has always been true to his word. And I know we, 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 you know, we talk about tithe, and I don't want to spend there, but golly, folks, it's just true. You, you can't convince me otherwise. I, talk to me after service, and I can share you. And, and, and listen, it's not the house car stuff. It's the intangible things of how God is has been in our marriage, how God has been in the raising of our children, to see my children growing up loving the Lord, ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ, take the car, take the house, take whatever you don't, that is enough to last me for eternity. That's real reward. That's real blessing. 
So, hypostasis, we get the idea uh, both that is substance and it's, 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 it's something that invades our life. So, uh, faith is a substance of things we hope for. There's something real here. The author's trying to communicate it. Or, that is exactly what our faith is. It's not speculation or happenstance. It's the ability of God to fulfill His promise. Our faith based in Jesus Christ. He is the substance and evidence of our faith. But what is interesting, you know, he doesn't even stop here. Faith is a substance of things we hope for. I think we should be able to get it. But I don't think the Hebrew writer, the author, said, we're not done yet. I don't think y'all get it. There is not blind faith. He's a substance of what you hope for, but he's also the evidence of things you don't see. And I know there are several translations of this. It's like two heads or two sides of the same coin. The same message is being given. He's a substance of what we're hoped for, but he's also the evidence of things not seen. The Greek word elinkos means proof of that which things are proved or tested. It is a means of proof that which things are proved or tested. The word signifies proof or demonstration, not a wish, dream, or hope. You know, if I was to ask you this morning and said, do you have a car? You say, yeah. I say, prove it. You've got two ways to do that. You could drag me out there if I don't want to go. You could drag your car in here. But what you could do is bring a title or registration. Now, in the state of Florida, if you have that registration or a title, that is proof. That little piece of paper is proof of something substantial in the parking lot, is it not? That's what's being conveyed about this word elinkos. It's, it's a proof. And, and, and what, the, what the writer's trying to, to share with us this morning, based on all that has been revealed, all that has come out of the shadows and being substance of Jesus Christ, is our faith is substance and is evidence of things not seen. You see what the author's getting to here? It's not a blind faith. If you're here this morning, there's just as unsettling as like, well, I just think coming to church and doing my thing every Sunday's it. Oh, my word, you're missing it. You are missing it by a mile. God is real. When you exercise faith in Him, there are substantial things that occur in your life where He assures you that He is real. He assures you of His presence. It's this reason why there are so many, even in the world today, that will die, be tortured, and suffered simply because... They are called Christians. You know, when somebody comes up to you and, and wanting to beat you to death, literally beat you to death, it's something more than assent to philosophical ideas that's going to get you to that, through that, isn't it? Because if it's just an idea I have in my head and it has no place in my heart and you come up to me with whipping bats, I'm apt to change my mind, right? I mean, if it's just an idea in my head... I'm about to change my mind. But if it has radically changed my life and has proved to be substance in my life, has proved to be absolute truth in my life, in other words, God, God's Word has impacted me, I've trusted Him, and I have found it to be absolute truth, which means it's true for all people in all places and for all time, then you can't beat that out of me. You can't beat that out of me. Now, that substantial faith among believers that are facing that is true. But it also explains why there are people gathered around that person laughing at the silliness of it. Because in them is absent of any substantial faith in Jesus Christ. True faith in God rests on the reality of His presence. Building on this idea of substance... Man, I hope this is challenging your heart this morning. I pray it's challenging your religiosity. 
I hope it's challenging the fact that all I got to do is just kind of come here and hear somebody speak for an hour and I'm somehow good for heaven. The passage I'm going to read you in context is really a warning passage. Okay, it's a warning passage. But it does tell us something about substance of the faith we have in Jesus Christ, okay? Chapter 6. I want you to read this with me. Chapter 6. Of, of, uh, not Romans, if I said that. Hebrew is what I meant. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. It's a warning passage. But the first part of it, are to, we are to identify with this. Look what the writer is saying. For in the case of those who have been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. Then it talks about those that follow away to renew them, the dangers there, but it's a warning passage. But what I want to capture you is what the author is saying about salvation. Those who have come to faith in Christ, what does it say? Hey, these are substantial things. These are things of substance. Enlightened, tasting of the heavenly gift, partakers of the Holy Spirit, tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. Guys, that's not blind faith. That's reality. And I tell you, as we look at this idea of faith and, and, and prayerfully from Scripture, we have built this idea that it's substantial. I want, to, I want to tell you something. Faith is important because here's what God, the writer says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. He says, without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, with the faith that he's describing here, it is impossible to please God. Now, we don't have to do a word study on impossible, do we? Impossible is exactly that. Without faith, it is impossible to believe God. And he goes on, he says, For he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You're going to diligently seek him when you have found his word to be true and a substantial part of your life. You will not be able to help but to diligently seek him. And I can't help to get excited about this type of faith. Yes, yeah, impossible to please God, but it says that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Pouring out His blessing on those who diligently seek Him. Even in times of trial and circumstances, and it may have a negative uh, uh, ending as we would all consider negative, but even in that, God is good. You know, Romans eight twenty eight says, All things work together for good to them that love God. And are the called according to his purpose. Now that's either true or it's not. Isn't it? All things. Work together for good. To those. You know we always like to stop there. Ah, it all works out for good. No it doesn't. No it does not. It does not always work out for good. It works out for good to those that love God. And who called according to his purposes. And we need to have a more. Uh, invested view. And what that means. Does it mean that uh, I want a brand new car. God didn't give it to me. So therefore he's just not real. We always think very myoptically. Very short term. Whenever God is always thinking long term. We only have 70, 80, 90 years here. Maybe 100 at the best. There is eternity on the other side. We need to trust him. And we'll find that reward. We'll find that rest. When we find true biblical faith in Jesus Christ. And it will be sight one day. 
even a passage about the necessity of faith, we see rewards of those diligently seek Him. I can't help but think in our congregation this morning, there are those who heard this and said, you know, substance of the faith. They said, that's right. You know, I know Jesus is alive, Brother Jimmy. You know why? Because I just talked to him this morning. I just had a time with him this morning in my personal Bible study. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when you study and you're in devotion, it seems like the presence of God is right there. It's not always that way. Oh, it will be one day, but not right now. Not always that presence. And at times I don't sense his presence. It doesn't matter what I feel. It's what God says. And he said, if I seek him, he's there. So it's not about a feeling. But there are some here that would amen this. They faced tragic times and they had nothing but the word of God to hold on to. And they found him faithful. That's you this morning. But, you know, I can't help believe there are some here that say, you know, I was like that at one time. But I'm not now. Let me diagnose that problem for you. It's disobedience. It's sin has intervened and come into your life. That's where the excitement went. That's where the joy of your salvation went. Whenever you started turning away from God and believing more in self. It's not about emotions, but it is about passion. If you're here this morning, the altar is going to be open. Come with that broken and contrite heart and say, God, I've been so unfaithful, though you have proven faithful. And as David cried out, come and restore the joy of your salvation in my life today. And based on Scripture, God says, I'll do it. I'll do it. You'll be surprised what God can do with a broken and contrite spirit. But, you know, there are some here this morning that say, you know what? I have never experienced that faith. I have no clue what you're talking about. Yeah, I come to church, but I don't see God doing anything in my life. That's very easy to understand. You know, there's children in this church that don't experience being my child. I don't buy them Christmas gifts. I don't do anything special for them because they're not my children. I'm not a real part of their life because they're not my children. You only have this faith when you come by faith believing in Jesus Christ. That you come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit that you are a sinner and there is no way, no how that you are prepared to face the Holy God. Romans 3.10 says this, As it is written, there are none righteous, no, not one. None, no, zero. And if that's not enough, Romans 3.23 says the wages of sin is death. That's 6.23, I'm sorry. 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That puts us in a miserable position. You might say here this morning, well, I don't think I'm that bad of a sinner. I could just walk down the Ten Commandments and ask you a few questions and you'd realize you're a sinner. God said you won't have any other God before me. Is there any time in your life ever that you put something or put yourself above God? The answer probably yes. You'll have no images, no idols. Is there anything in your life, your children, your family, your home, your cars, your boat, fishing trips that you ever put before God? you just broken that commandment. Have you ever not honored the Sabbath? Have you ever nay, taken God's name in vain? in a way that's not honoring to him. Have you ever been disrespectful or dishonoring to your parents? Have you ever told something wasn't true? Have you ever taken something that wasn't yours without permission? I mean, a pen, piece of paper, or whatever. Have you ever committed murder? Woohoo! I'm out. No murder. Hopefully no murder here. <laughs> Jesus said, if you've hated somebody in your heart, you've committed murder already. What about adultery? Jesus said, if you've looked upon a woman or someone of the opposite sex with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. So you know where that puts us? That puts us standing before God. 
as lying, murdering, thieving, adulterers. What is a holy God to do with that? Eternal punishment. All have sinned. We all have sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. But here's something remarkable in Romans 5, 8. It says, God demonstrated his love toward us. He made the first move. In that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Why would Christ have to die? He lived a perfect life. He never sinned. Why would he have to die? Because God is good. And God is good in every aspect of his nature and character, which means he is also a good judge. God must judge sin. So why was the cross so horrific? Because that is what sin deserves. Why was Christ beaten that way? Because he took my place. He took my place. So now the judgment of God is satisfied for those that believe. You know, the blood that was shed on the cross is sufficient to cleanse the sin of all people in all places and for all time. But listen very carefully. It's only effective to those who believe and trust in him. It's sufficient to cleanse your sin. You're here this morning. You don't know what I did. Doesn't matter. It's sufficient. But it's only effective when you come to a point in time that you realize this enormous sin debt you have. You come to God but again with a broken and contrite heart and you plead for forgiveness through Jesus Christ. You do that not because your head thinks it's something you need to do but because your heart is driving you to it. You're going to experience substantive faith. You're going to experience a faith that is real as the Holy Spirit invades your life. You're going to experience substance to your faith and you start reading Scripture and saying, that is truth. I'm not living it, but that is truth. And allow God to move in your heart and transform you and make you more and more like Christ this entire lifetime. That's what needs to happen for those here this morning Says I've never had a faith that I've been that passionate about. <laughs> then Jesus has never invaded your life. It's just as simple as that. One final truth and we'll close. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things that we have not seen. We talked a lot about faith as substance of things we hope for. We haven't talked much about the hope for part or the things not seen. You know, we stand on a platform. If we've come to faith in Jesus Christ, we've come on a foundation to launch off into a greater faith. But I'm going to tell you, <laughs> the Bible is very clear that our eye has not seen, nor has our ear heard all the things that God's prepared for those that love him. You know, I can think of some beautiful places on this planet. I can't go to the mountains, it's gorgeous. But you know what the scripture is telling me? That if I'm faithful to him and trust him and his word, ultimately I'm going to a place that my eye hasn't seen and my ear hasn't heard and my mind has not even been able to contemplate. Why am I so sure that they're going to happen? Why am I so sure that they're real? Because he is real today. He is substantive today. His faith is made known. Does this mean I never doubt? Does this mean I never run into trouble? No. What it means if I'm faith in God, I'm going to hold out on his word. I'm just going to hold on to him. When it's, when it's tough and it gets going bad, I'm, I'm going to close my eyes. I'm just going to hold on to truth. And here's the reality. If I slip, God's going to hold on to me. Peter tries to encourage us. And I'm going to close on this passage. About the things to come. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who believe.
That's a promise. That is what I long for. That is a place that I haven't seen. But there's enough evidence now that God has provided me that I can count on it. I can count on it. My prayer this morning as you stand. With your heads bowed, you're not looking around. Is this the faith I have? Is this the faith I used to have? Or is this faith I've never had? I'm simply asking you to respond to what God may have spoken to you this morning as His Word was preached. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I thank You for Your Word. Lord, I I thank You that, uh, uh, Lord... You did not call us just simply to find some rules to obey and, and have a philosophy of life to live by, that you called us to a personal relationship. And, Father, you called us to place faith and trust in you. Father, faith is nothing really we can generate within ourselves. But you do, you do tell us in Romans that faith comes by hearing and hearing from the Word of God. So, really, our faith ultimately comes from you. And, Father, how you bring that to our life, Father, through the Holy Spirit, you make known that we're sinners. And, Father, we come confessing our sin, repenting from it, and turn in faith believing in your Son, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of our sin. Lord, I pray that as we looked, as the writer of Hebrews is encouraging us about faith, that is substance and it's evidence. Lord, that we might use this as a platform to launch into great things. Father, I believe you have great plans for this church. I believe you got great plans for this body. But, Father, you provide the resources of heaven. You move mightily when your people place absolute trust and faith in your word. So, Holy Spirit, do your work this morning. God, accomplish your purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.